Blog Talk Radio. Good evening to the listeners of Blog Talk Radio. Um, you are on the, or you have joined the uh, uh, believers in the Wednesday night Bible study of the Blessed Hope Community Church, and so we want to welcome you as well. Uh, tonight, our study is taken from Psalm 46. Psalm 46, and so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to read from the first verse, uh, verses one through eleven. Quote: God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the brick of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations, he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now, Psalm 46 was written uh, in the superscription for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. We don't really know what that means, but uh, this psalm is a great uh, message for believers to remember, especially... Uh, in our day, in our time. I was driving just the other day and I saw that uh, in our particular, in our area, the price of gas is now over $5. And I saw some where gas, uh, some of the prices were $5.49. And I checked out a study uh on inflation, I like to keep up with that information, and uh, real inflation is over 12%. So uh, prices will keep going up, and uh, not only do we have inflation that is raging out of control, but uh, now uh, certain economists are talking about uh, hyperinflation. So. Uh, these are very real phenomena. That is, they're happening in different parts of our community, in different parts of our country. Uh, there are people who are losing their jobs because they won't take the jab, as it is uh, popularly called. So uh, people are being pressured. And supply ships, container ships, uh, are not being allowed to unload either on the East Coast or the West Coast because uh, these people want uh, the people of this country to experience want. They want uh, to hurt uh, people so that they will submit uh, to the 
to their rule and to their demands. And let me say that uh, we live in very difficult times. And we don't live in easy times by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, the dollar, as it were, is losing value precipitously. And uh, so what are we to do? And uh, how are we uh, to live in this country with what is going on economically and uh, with, the, with the medical community? So we have some things to pray about. And this, that is what is going on, can no longer be ignored. The passivity that many of us have allowed ourselves uh, to have toward events, uh, political events, economic events, uh, or or what is going on in the medical community can no longer be. And uh, the Bible talks uh, extensively about the sin of doing nothing, the sin of standing aside, uh, and doing nothing about the suffering of others. Uh, and uh, notably in the New Testament, when Jesus speaks about uh, the, the man who fell among thieves, that is the Good Samaritan, and who, who passed by him, who walked by and would not render, uh, render assistance, but who stopped and the man who stopped uh, ministered in the Greek uh, to this man's uh, traumata, that is, his trauma, his wounds. Listen, uh, we are to be a people who accumulate good works. We're to be involved in good works. And... Uh, God expects of us, and that is his people, to, uh, to bear fruit. We're to bear fruit that is evidence of our salvation and our relationship with God, that we truly know Jesus Christ. Uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit that is exhibited through the power of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to walk by faith in these days and not by sight. Uh, If we rely mainly on our own understanding, uh, we may find ourselves in paralyzing fear. And uh, fear does create a type of paralysis for believers because if we do that, then there is an action and we're to be a people of action. We are to be a people of substantive action. In Psalm 46, uh, the first uh, stanza states, uh, the first word is God is. And so uh, our refuge, God is, state of being for it. Uh, and in the Hebrew, it is Elohim. This is the first word that is used in the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Elohim uh, created the heavens and the earth, or in beginning. And the, uh, in the Hebrew alphabet, there's a letter that signifies rosh or head. And in the Hebrew uh, pictograms, it is the head of a man. So at the head of creation, uh, there is God. There is nothing, there's no mass energy prior to God. There is nothing prior to God. God is eternal. And so God God spoke and uh, he created. So, in Psalm 46, we have Elohim, the strong one of authority. Now, uh, also in Hebrew pictograms, we have the, the shepherd's staff and the head of a bull, uh, which represents 
the strong one of authority. That is one who is mighty in power and strength. And I want to emphasize that because uh, we need to know in depth that uh, we need to know the character of God in depth. If we are to trust him in these days, we cannot merely depend on what we learned years ago and because that doesn't work for us in the present tense. Now, we are to store up for ourselves uh, the word of God in our hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That is primary because sin breaks fellowship with God. And so, therefore, if I want to maintain my fellowship, that is, to hold joint things in common with God, which is the the meaning of the word fellowship, koinonia, then I have to confess or to agree with God that I have sinned. Now, some people may want to hold on to that sin because they feel they have a right to be uh, to uh, feel a certain way about sin. No, you don't. Not according to the scriptures. And if you are holding a, a grudge or, or bitterness or anger, uh, then you are outside of the will of God. And the thing that, that believers need to understand is that uh, my anger or hatred of someone does not separate me from that person so that I can pronounce or feel a certain way about that individual. And uh, because what happens to me uh, physiologically because of my hatred or dislike uh, changes my life forever. My hatred or bitterness or anger changes the morphology uh, of my brain. It changes my emotions and my actions. And uh, God is not going to bless me if I hold on to sin. God promises rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will rest you. I will rest you. And the word in Greek there means to make, to cease, to make, to stop. The hurt, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, I will make to stop. He is our great physician. And Jesus heals from within. He begins with our hearts. Uh, In in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we read that... uh, Jesus had come, Jesus has come to heal the shattered in heart. And through uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, we see uh, the holistic salvation of God in that nothing is thrown away. God throws nothing of us away. All is gathered up. All is love. And so we don't need to hide from ourselves or feel that there is something so dark in my heart that uh, I need to hide from it. It is something so ugly uh, and so profound that I'm going to seek to hide from it, but I can't hide from myself. I can't hide from sin because it just distorts my personality. And my countenance becomes darker and I become, uh, I display my my anger in in the way I walk, the way I talk. Uh, I can't have, there's no joy in my life because I'm not in fellowship with the Lord. And he has said that he will make these things to cease. Jesus said, to his own, not to those who are not saved. Jesus said to his own, without me, you can do nothing. Let me give you another translation of that. 
Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. See, it doesn't change. And that's why we're, uh, Jesus said, abide in me. That is, be home in my will, uh, be at home in my will. Abide in me. This is when we grow. Uh, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But you can only have these wonderful blessings if you come to understand that God is our refuge. God uh, is our fortress. God is our shelter. And so, therefore, we can trust in him. And, again, from the, uh, uh, the Hebrew pictograms, the word trust means to rely on. It, uh, and in some translations, we get the word aman, A-M-A-N. It means that which is firm, and it refers to a, a tent stake that is driven into the ground to help uh, hold uh, these huge tents in place. That is the Hebrew word for aman, from which we get our word amen. It means to be reliable. I can trust this stake, this tent stake, to stay in place, to remain. So there are wonderful messages in the word of God for us. So God is our shelter. God is our refuge, place of safety. We trust or rely on him. He protects us from the rain. He protects us from the storm. He protects us from danger. And he also protects us from falsehood or lies. Now, we live in a time of incredible falsehood or lies. People seek to victimize us through disinformation and misinformation. People seek uh, to uh, bring into our, they seek to gaslight us. And I want you to read, uh, if you can't read, read it, uh, I want, want you to read about these terms. Look up the term gaslight. And uh, I want you to read about Nehemiah. Read the book of Nehemiah and the great ministry that God called him to do and what the enemies of God said about their work. I need you to see that uh, these attacks are old. And so why would someone spend so, uh, why would these corporations spend so much money on seeking to control what you and I think? Not only do they control what we think through the messaging uh, uh, that they put out through what they call TV, but in an old book I read, uh, the it we say that we're looking at a TV screen, or we look at we're watching TV, but the screen is really our minds, and they project the images that they want us to absorb upon the screens of our minds. So they are marketing us to ourselves so that we would, uh, through, predict, uh, through predictive programming, do what they want us to do, buy what they want us to buy, think what they want us to think. And uh, in their wipers that we never see, they use terms like nudging. We want to nudge the populace, the masses, in this direction, they want to nudge you, and that, and then they want to incrementally encroach upon the freedoms that uh, that you and I have through the Constitution, through the Declaration of Independence, through the uh, the Bill of Rights. They want 
to incrementally take over. And so God is our, our refuge and our strength. These terms doesn't mean that I'm to retreat into who and uh, who God is, and I'm to retreat and curl up into uh, a, a ball in fear. And not have the courage to face what is going on uh, during the the controlled demolition of society. I just read tonight where uh, the the school board hid from this parent who went into a meeting and started reading uh, to in in this meeting a book on gay or homosexual sex that they allow the children to read, but they didn't want a parent to stand up in, uh, in a school board meeting and read this abroad so that everyone will know the brainwashing and the manipulation that is going on. Now, the Bible tells me that God arranged it. Uh, there events that God allowed to happen to Joseph. And uh, we read that they put him in shackles and chains, but uh, instead of breaking his spirit, instead of breaking him down and breaking his mind and shattering his heart, these events put steel in his spine. Because God was going to do a mighty work through Joseph. And so God built him up through suffering. In the book of Job, we see uh, another saint who had everything taken from him. And in chapter 1, we read about this man's character, this man's wonderful life. This man had completeness. His life was complete in every way. Satan went before God and said that that Job or Job is only this way toward you because you have a hedge around his life. That's the only reason he's that way with you. And then God exposed Job to suffering. God allowed the collapse of his home, take away his children, everything that he had. His uh, role in society. Job's body was attacked. Job's dreams were attacked. Job tried to find comfort uh, with a pot shirt, the great great, uh, lesions and, and boils that were on his body. He could find no relief. And he wanted to go before God uh, to plead his case. And then Job at one point said that he runs upon me, uh, he jumps up and down upon me like a giant. He runs at me like a giant. And then Job's three friends plus one who had not been made privy to what transpired between the God of heaven and the Satan gave their view to Job about the cause of his suffering. God never revealed to them what was going on in the life of Job, so they made assumptions about him. They made assumptions about Job, and Job uh, stood up, and he denied all their assumptions and their conclusions about 
what was going on in his life. But Job remained faithful in his misery. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the men who were threatened to be tossed uh, into the fiery furnace, and they were, said, we will trust God. So Nebuchadnezzar had them cast into the furnace with their hats, their clothing, their beards. He had the furnace heated up, and the men who carried these men to cast them into the furnace fell down. And the heating of that furnace was, was a type or symbol of the king's anger toward this this stuff. Why there is no one greater, no God greater than me. So these men were tossed into this furnace. The king looked in and he said, Did we not throw in three? But I see another. And these men are uh, who we cast in bound are no longer bound. They're walking about free. This is the type of faith that if we walk in the spirit, if we study the word, if we live the word, will manifest itself in our actions, in our speech, in our walk, in our talk, in the efficacy of our prayers. It will change our praise. You see, this world and its psychiatrists and therapists and counselors do not understand the things of the Spirit of God because these things of the Spirit are foolishness unto them. In the Greek, it is moronic. And neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. They're only spiritually understood. The eyes of the Lord run to and throughout the earth, beholding the good and the evil. God sees up close and personal what their actions show who they are and whose they are. In the Gospel of John, there were people who said that they believed Jesus. But their belief was not a transformative belief. Their belief was a mere intellectual assent. Their belief was not a belief in Jesus that understood who he was. He came among his own, and his own received him not. They didn't understand who he was. But Jesus said... Another comes in his own name. Him you will receive. Him you will receive. Told them that they were in bondage. They said, oh, no, no, no. You got it wrong, Jesus. We have never been in bondage. Here were uh, the children of Abraham in the promised land under the Roman Pax Romana. They were not free. But see, when you're in bondage, you can tell how deep your bondage is. Ah, we, we, have, we have never been in bondage. We're not in bondage now, Jesus. So, it's just it's just really incredible what God says about 
uh, his people in Isaiah chapter 2. This is Isaiah 2, verse 6. Quote, you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. This is the far east. Israel was in uh, Western Asia, the, the near east. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines. The word Philistines here merely means foreigners, possibly from the Greek islands. The word Philistine means foreigners and clasp hands with pagans. Their land is full of silver and gold. And there is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So man will be brought low and mankind humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. This is uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. God's people followed Eastern occultism. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. This is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus, oh, man, uh, gosh, these, these preachers, some of them arrogantly say, Jesus is not coming again. He's not coming. And Peter talks about these same individuals. They, their existence was prophesied uh, in the first century A.D. by Peter and Jews. Where's the promise of his coming? Everything continues to be the same. Nothing has changed. See, when you're spiritually blind, you believe what you say. And what you believe has no basis in evidence or reality. Because I listen to people very carefully who say that Jesus is not coming again. And all men, the bravado uh, when people clapping, amen, and, and, and lead them on, amen, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I look for them to go deeper. They can go deeper because they don't know the Bible. They certainly don't know Eastern church history. They don't know Western church history. They don't know anything about the history uh of the, uh, the New Testament documents, the canon, how it came together, who put it together, the councils that came together uh, uh, to put together the sacred canon that we know that is closed from the hand of God. They don't know any of these things. And what I like to do is after they finish their, their homilies, uh, I like to, uh, I'll wait maybe a year or two, and see where their lives have gone. Oh, I'm leaving the church. And what have they created? What fruit have they brought forth? And, for instance, in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon faced the downgrade controversy. In the 19th century, there was a concerted effort of pastors to rob Jesus of his deity, his majesty, to make light uh, of the, the kenosis, that is the self-emptying of Christ, and on and on and on. And so it was called the downgrade controversy. Charles Spurgeon uh, refuted these people, and he fought them. And the men who wanted to downgrade Jesus 
uh, just a few years later, they themselves have been brought low. Read the book of Hebrews and what he says about those who seek to trample underfoot the blood of the Son of God. And what happens to them after the approbation of the clouds, after the, the crowds, after the clapping, after they've written their books, given their lectures, and uh, uh, glad-handed people who agree with them? Look, well, hell does not exist, so they go on and on and on. Because why? The Bible says, cursed is the one who trusts in an arm of flesh. And they are servants of the devil. They are his ministers who masquerade as ministers of righteousness, whose end, Paul writes, will be according to their work. In Romans 2, Paul talks about those who are treasuring of wrath against the day of wrath. The Greek word is thesaurus. Go into the rocks and hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. See, the Lord is going to destroy the man of sin, the Antichrist. He's going to destroy the little horn of the book of Daniel with the brightness of his coming. Here you have the incarnation of darkness. Cannot Stand before the majesty of un, the uncreated splendor and radiance of the majesty of God. The eye, Isaiah 2.11, of the arrogant man will be humbled and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The brother who wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, had, was executed in a prison camp. And in order to create more misery, uh, when they first put this pastor in the prison camp, he ministered to those who were in the camp with him. He ministered to them. He was their pastor. He was led out nude, and he was taken up on the gallows, to the gallows, and he was hanged to death for being a pastor, for being faithful. Arrogant, kill the man of God. Hebrews 11 talks about the saints who were so abused. And I love it that the, the writer to the book of Hebrews states, of whom the world was not worthy of whom the world was not worthy. Paul writes that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not here. This old world is not our home. This satanic system is not our home. And it increasingly is, is treating us as such. We're not welcome. The gospel, the good news of Jesus. Men have, have written books and they have said that we don't like the idea of, uh, and they use that word idea, we don't like the idea of, of blood-bought saints. We don't like to hear about the sanguinary or the, the, the bloodletting uh, that happened at the cross. We don't like to hear that uh, God was incarnate in Jesus and 
uh, he he shed his blood for our salvation. We don't like God's message of redemption. We don't like uh, the doctrine of the the historic substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross for all men. We don't like God's message. So we're going to have a bloodless religion that welcomes all. We're going to have a religion of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of men, and we're not going to discriminate. Well, think about the origin of such a message. And just think about when you go in the Old Testament, you read about uh, the line, you read about the genealogy that culminates in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. In uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we have the genealogy of Joseph. In Luke, we have the genealogy of Miriam. Both were of the royal family of Judah. But in the book of Jeremiah, the, uh, the line uh, drew Kaniah, Jeconiah, uh, because of what he did to the word of God, God cursed his line. And so Jesus could not inherit the throne of his of, of of David through that line that came through Joseph. But Jesus inherited the throne of his father David through the line of Heli, who uh, Miriam was his daughter. And so this is how the Son of God inherited the throne of David. The Lord will encompass, the, and, and the Lord defeated the Satan. And if you note in Matthew's gospel, Herod sought to destroy the, the baby king. Do you see now why these people like abortion. And in Psalm 23, in Psalm 22, Jesus said that you did make me hope upon my mother's breast. Do you see why the sacrifice of babies and infants? And Herod sent his men out, slay babies in a, this particular district where he believed that he, if he didn't get Jesus, uh, he he would uh, he would destroy all the infants because he wanted to destroy the king in his madness. God spoke to Joseph, and Joseph took the mother of Jesus and took Jesus into Egypt. And thus the scripture was fulfilled out of Egypt. I have called my son. And the baby Jesus stayed there with his parents until Herod died. And he returned to Nazareth where he was brought up. Until we read, uh, uh, we and then, uh, we have the years of obscurity, and then Luke talks about him being in the temple, speaking with the doctors of the law, who are taken aback by the profound knowledge he had of the word. In John 1, we read that he is the Logos. He is the incarnate Logos. He is God's final revelation to man. So the Lord at his second coming and is going to destroy uh, the eyes of men. The pride of men will be brought low. 
Now, when we go back to Psalm 46, verse uh, verse 1 states, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way or the earth change, and the, uh, that is the, uh, the collapse of the existing order, the collapse of the existing order, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So in Psalm 46 in verses 1, 2, and 3, we have a great time of trouble. And that word trouble is sarah in Hebrew, and it means straits. It means distress and trouble. It also is used of a rival wife. Please read First Samuel. It also refers to affliction or an adversary or foe or an enemy. It also refers to a hard pebble or flint. And it means to press. That's verses 1, 2, and 3. And uh, verses 4 through 7, uh, this time of trouble is followed by the Messiah's advent in power and glory. So we read in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It means to rejoice. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. She will not fall. Once we begin to understand that the river within our hearts is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit creates joy in our hearts. Our hearts are currently God's holy place where the Most High does dwell. Now, I know we live in a culture that does not want us to focus on where the Most High dwells. We live in a culture that does not want us to focus on the holy place where the most high dwells. We will sell you or they will sell you bad food. They will sell you food with Empty kilo calories. They will sell you food full of salt and sugar. They will sell you food that looks like food, but it's not really food, but it's make-believe food. Look up some of the patents for food that, uh, that have been granted. They will sell you water. They will sell you drink that will destroy your pancreas, your kidneys, your liver, that will compromise your vascular system. They will put chemicals in your water that will calcify your pineal gland. They will do all these things to you to promote osteoarthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis, they will do this. They will poison our bodies, they will poison our minds with the stuff they say through, uh, through their media. God is our, our refuge and God is our peace. 
God is our help. Notice, he is an ever-present help in Azor. He is our aid in trouble, sarah, straits, distress, trouble, affliction. John tells us, talks about fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Paul writes that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Why? Why? And why so much language about fear in the Bible? Fear not. Why would God say that? Fear not. Verse 6, nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. We don't know the names of the rulers of this present darkness, the rulers of this age. We don't know their names. But we know the ultimate source, and that is the devil. And we know we're given in uh, Ephesians 6 the hierarchy of leadership. And this is why you and I are told to put on the armor of God. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. Now, the devil is mighty, but only the Lord is almighty. The Lord almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now God comes back in judgment, verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Remember, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus opens that sealed book, he unleashes the judgments that will come upon the earth. The desolations will come. Isaiah speaks about those desolations that will come. Isaiah states that the earth will rock to and fro like a drunken man. Isaiah 10, 26, the Lord Almighty will lash them with a whip as when he struck down Midian at the, Midian at the rock of Oreb. He will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. Isaiah 42, 13, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and, with, uh, and will triumph 